my first tour in Vietnam when I got in Vietnam. I was 20 years old. Shortly thereafter, I turned, well, not shortly, a while ago, I guess I turned 20. I served my 21st and 22nd birthday in Vietnam. Mm, but 20. I went there when I was 20, and I never came home all across the all three tours. Wow. So, so you basically, you were ripped away from your normal life. How did you feel as far as the shock was concerned? Would you say it was minimized because you didn't really know life all the way or, or this was something that was traumatic or let's start there and we'll take it and we'll just flow. Well, for no disrespect to any other branch of service, I respect all of them, but I chose the Marines and I am 100% still a Marine today. I am 72 years old for the listeners to know. I did serve three active tours and I served them by choice. Um, and I am told that's the first time in 30-some years uh, that has taken the time to put down some of his actual combat experience in the book. I don't know that for a fact. I have been told that, though. But I went there, and I was nothing like the TV you watched prior to my going on. My days was the old John Wayne movies from World War II. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, nothing like that is. Our first day in Vietnam, as we offloaded in the plane down in Da Nang, uh, was all Marines coming off the plane, naturally. And there were probably 20, 30 bodies that had to be loaded on the plane. And mm. that was our first task. Uh, gunnery sergeant told us, lined us up down there and says, you're here, you're boot. Even though you're a full Marine now of all various ranks, look, look around you. Look what you see. These are experienced people going home in these boxes. So you're going to learn, you're going to listen, or that's going to be you one day. And you just smell the stench of death in the air because of the humidity the, and everything about it. And, and that was the greeting to Vietnam. So I um, went on the guard duty that first night, major eye awakener for anyone who's served in any combat. Mm-hmm. Your first night on the comp, whether you're out on an LP, a patrol, ambush, uh, you get on guard duty of any manner. And it is an awakening and an eye opening. Every bush, every rock, everything is now your enemy in the middle of the night. They're all coming at you. That is just an actual fact in my case, and I'm sure many others I've talked to. So, so it is a wide eye-opening experience, something you know, I'll never forget. Um, right. and, and we go from there. But you, you start out, at least I did, in, in a very harsh, hard, wake-up-to-life way. You, you went in voluntarily. Was there ever a feel that... I'm not cut out for this, or, or I wish I wasn't here. Um, at that particular point, at 20 years old, how did you really feel? Like, I mean, it's hard to imagine. As soon as you get off, you you deal with these bodies. You deal with going on such a such a. Uh, you you were on guard all night. It's, it's look, we're just talking about it now and it's choking me up. I'm, I'm trying to figure out yeah. at 20 because I'm looking at myself at 20 years old and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I don't know if I yeah. could have handled that. Well, you're in my case, my training, you ask, uh, was that my toughest night? Actually, my toughest night was the first night of boot camp when I was finally able to go to bed. And I thought to myself, you said you asked me a little bit ago that I say, oh, did I do the right thing? My first night of boot camp training. That was my thought, that I do the right thing. Mm-hmm. But after my training and then after my boot camp, infantry training, ITR, it's called the Marines also. Uh, you go additional training beyond boot camp. 
Uh, and then because of going to Vietnam, you go through, I went through two sets of jungle warfare training, one okay. for seven weeks, one for three weeks. So when I got there, I felt I was trained. But again, the every day there, uh, training is great. Training is good. But every day is its own day, every minute. Uh, and, and people need to understand um, no war is combat every day, all day long. It just isn't done that way. Uh, combat comes and goes. You know, it, you could be uh, in a firefight. It could last two or three minutes. To you, it was hours. Uh, and then you got the death and destruction that came around with it, and you worked through that. Mm-hmm. And then there could be three, four days of nothing. And then back in the jungle again, and I could have been in the jungle with the other combat vets. Uh, it changes whether you're out there for two days at a spurt, three, four weeks at a spurt. And then you get to go back for a day or two, maybe three, to what they call a base camp. But I, I most of the time lived in the jungle, lived in the poncho line. I just slept on the ground, wrapped yourself, soaking wet. You ate when you could. You drank the water from the streams, put your pills in it, and that was your life. Your combat missions were always unknown. They were given to you last minute, and you did what you had to do at the moment for the, in my case, the Marine at my right, the Marine at my left, so that we make make it home. And uh, you never thought about age. You thought about, I want to survive this moment. And right. when that first round took off, nothing, nothing was in your mind but reaction. Uh, nothing that was going on. It was just until it was over, that's when the time to think was. And then that thought was always take care of the wounded. Wow. Have you witnessed the mental breakdown of anybody that served along your side? Um, we all have. More than, one, more than one Marine in Vietnam was sent home. Because just prior to a firefight, during a firefight, right after a firefight, mm-hmm. um, they were done. They mm-hmm. were literally done. Mm-hmm. Done because of uh, what they had seen, what they had had to do, and just couldn't take it no more. Mm. We're all human beings, and we all have different tolerance levels. So I could imagine that there are things that you mentioned that are not popular in the so-called mainstream media to report on that pretty much I would say is swept under the rug in your words. Let's just get into that and and just drop as much as you can around it because I can't tell your story and I can't even compartmentalize it into a neat section by section. So don't feel as though you may be rambling because I, I get you in every word that you say, this is a conversation more so than a, 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 a bulleted pointed, interview you know so not a problem Lance. yes just let's just let's just go in because i i do know you have a lot to share what is it that we don't know that that we overlook or we're we're kept from information wise um about me or about the say. war huh. about, about my part in the war about the war that? itself was that um the war itself was again every person in combat there has a different position, a different duty, and different stations. Not everybody in the combat zone sees combat. And in fact, it's a small percentage see combat. But there is so much support needed for the combat vets. But the, that doesn't mean the other people were in fear of their life or that something didn't happen. It's just a different level, a different layer. But you are wondering every day, no matter where you are, if you're going to make that day, even if you're in a large encampment out there and there's a rocket or mortar coming, that is your life at that time. For the vet in the field, um, that's a different life. You're uh, more of a on hands and, and I mean, in, in my case, 
let's say, every other week, minimum, at a very minimum, did I run into some kind of an action. So whether, again, through a firefight, through an ambush that was set up, an ambush we walked into, or from something predisposed we were dropped into by chopper to a live fight. Uh, but that is different for everybody. And the, the toughest thing we had back then was getting dry. We had so much rain out there with the mountains, trying to get dry clothes, trying to get clean clothes, trying to get fed. I mean, again, I'm not talking just me this one. I'm for so many vets. I don't care what branch of service. But you starved. You were you were walking skin and bones. You were a fighting machine, but you were skin and bones. I mean, in many months, we got one meal every other day for weeks on end. And so you ate whatever you could. In my case, I mean, I ate the bugs. I ate the leaves. I ate the roots. Uh, but there's that's a small percentage of people who had to do that. But it it was something that brought us about and and gave us tomorrow. But you you always look for dry clothes. You look for that day of a good meal. A good hot meal was basically maybe one, three, six weeks we get one hot meal. And when you're back in the base camp, two hot meals. Otherwise, it was sea rations, dry sea rations, always cold. And it was just a life you adapted to. You didn't know any better. You didn't expect much more than, than what you had. You know, it's, it's, it's a comparison, as I would say, to some of the poor countries. When people say, well, they don't have a toy to play with. They didn't know that the toys are there available to play with, so they didn't expect any more. After so long mm-hmm. there, you expected you were going to be soaking wet. You expected you were going to be hungry. And your number one goal was to make sure you had enough ammunition on you at all times. Wow. The number one drop, I don't care how bad the rain when finally broke, ammo was the first drop, food was the second. And basically you got good clothes or new clothes, stained from blood, ripped apart from the jungle uh, when you got back to a base camp. Uh, so you lived in what you had, you ate what you had, you drank the water from the streams, put your old pill in it for the net, uh, to try to kill the malaria disease, and uh, that was your living life. So your day was to take care again of the vet at your side and make it home each day and every day. And it was a struggle many, many days. And yes. what a lot of people don't understand, again, you're not in a fight every day. And if that's what you've done over and over across many months every other week or something, when you don't have a firefight, when you're not on patrol, if you're not in an ambush waiting to go, you are tense and you get at each other's throats. You can get on each other's nerves very easily because you're just so pumped at all times. So you have to be aware of that because the littlest thing means so much against someone else. And there's internal fighting for something silly, but you're just so hopped up all the time. And I don't mean hopped up from drugs, I mean hopped up with intensity. So... And, and not to take away from anybody, but that was another part we lived through. Now, my story is different. What I, I wrote my book for a different reason, not only to let people know about some parts of combat, but I'm still chasing things. I'm still chasing things with the VA. I'm still chasing things with the Marine Corps that I'm trying to recover from Vietnam. Thus, my book, the title of my book, and my mother's own. And it's explained in detail a lot of the actions I went through, but also what I'm fighting for. Brilliant. You're very clear on your purpose and, and you're very focused. And I, I, I applaud you because, you know, I've known many Vietnam vets and not just Vietnam, but all across the board, different, um, not only the proper terminology because I'm, I'm not a military guy, but mm-hmm. many are homeless. Many are broken. Many have drug addictions, drug problems, mental issues, emotional issues, spiritual issues, 
And it just seems as though this government just doesn't seem to care. They utilize them for their own purposes. And in this present day, um, I would say for a lot of corporate reasons, and it's like you're a used tool, and now that we don't need you anymore, to heck with you. I, I just think that for the time that anybody puts in, in in any military, that they should be rewarded, even if they had reasons of being patriotic, which, personal opinion, I just feel the government will rouse us up in a patriotic fashion, and we not know what we're really going for but for those who did it sincerely take care of them they shouldn't have to have a place or wonder where they're going to live even if it's a small place have some give them maintain their dignity uh, take care of them it's not like you're giving them a handout you you, you risk your life so for the time that you when have a lot of that yes yeah i'm sorry go ahead no 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 that, that's pretty much what i was going to say you know it's not a handout it's not because what you've gone through and how you've had to go through things that affect you to this day, where now, listen, you said about the combat, and you said not every day was that, but you still walk with that. I know that the small traumatic things that I've gone through, which don't compare to what you've gone through, still have me, you know, affected. So to go in a totally different atmosphere and live this for not one period of time but three tours this this is your life you're so interconnected with that experience that it could never be pulled away so take care of you you did your part let them do their part and many that i know that have to go to the va and go through all the paperwork for something that may be minor or major and then it seems like it's a game where they're trying to shortchange you yet we have countless trillions of dollars for so many foolish things but we can't take care of our own. How do you feel about that? Well, Lance, I thank you for bringing up that point, and, and I bring that point up actually in the book, and it's related to the Agent Orange effect for all the old Vietnam vets suffering Agent Orange cancers. I've had three cancer surgeries from Agent Orange in the past four years. But it is a shame, as you said, each of us gave up our life, our time, and Many died. The, the true heroes have, have passed. And we've given up all of that for everybody else's freedom. And I still don't believe the people who have never, there's too many people who have never experienced combat or family member. They really don't understand how much has been given up for all the good that they have. And, and I wish there's a way to learn it. And I, 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 this may sound bad, but I really believe my book details so much it could open the eyes of so many, especially our younger kids or our grandchildren, of what their grandparents may have gone through or their neighbor or their buddy's grandparent. It will open the eyes of so many because I tried to tell a story. I didn't bullet point it. I tried to tell a story of a life of a person. And all the way through up to today and all the surgeries I've gone through, but the government, there should be no, it took two and a half years for me to get treatment from the VA. That was ridiculous. You know, three tours. I was wounded three times in Vietnam. I still have shrapnel in my body. And it takes me two and a half years to get treatment. Unheard of. Ridiculous. I am being treated now. I've seen some great doctors, and I've seen some okay doctors. But mm -hmm. you have to wait too much. And I really wish they'd 
give us that card that's been talked about, or I can walk into any doctor's office or any hospital or any right. vet, right. and, and they treat us. And I say, well, wait a minute. Let me see if you're approved. They know we are in the service. They know where we were served. My God, one simple little card, take care of the guy. You know, Especially we don't the, walk around asking somebody to give us a million dollars. Give us right. our care. That's it. Exactly. In this day and age, with the technology that they have, also the technology that they had years ago that the masses didn't know about, how hard is it to, they're talking about implanting chips in people. Again, why not just a card and, and a central database where you can go worldwide, not just here in the United States, but where they have embassies, where they have other places that if you want to live somewhere else that you can get your care. You, 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 you gave your time and your life. There are seen and unseen scars that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. That's not too much to ask. It's not too much to ask at all. I have, I am required to see a psych every month for the rest of my life. I've had this in eight, eight, nine years ago. I had to see him. I was seeing psychiatrists and trauma specialists twice a month because that was my requirement to get put away because they felt I was in a bad place. And their logic was as my as I got older and my family went away, all my responsibilities these that that we'll call it the evil in the back of the mind that I was able to put away now comes to light. And that's a problem with a lot of the older vets. And the younger vets are experiencing from just coming back. Mm-hmm. But as for the older vets, as they finally can relax their mind, the vet comes up and, and now they've got to relive all they lived through. I hear a chopper. I'm a chopper. My mind is, I was choppered around Vietnam and dropped into missions and patrols and all that. Minimum 100 times through my three tours. Minimum, that's a, probably 200 times. But So that's my memory thought. I hear a chopper. Not sure if I hear a loud noise. Um, but it's never going to go away. As I've told my sites, you know, when they ask, uh, is it better now? Are these pills helping you? Is this talk helping you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and my trauma specialist is the one who recommended I buy this book, hoping that if I talk about it more, it'll ease yes. my mind. Yes. I'll give them 10, 15% credit. I'm able to talk about some things. I would have never thought about talking about. Mm-hmm. But there's still so much more I have. No desire to discuss with anybody. But mm-hmm. it's helped some. Right. But uh, it, it, it's a battle. And, it's, and my battle will go away the day I die. Understood. Understood. And, and for you to have the strength to revisit and, and chronicle everything in a book. And again, you said there are things that you're not willing to talk about. And I understand that and I honor that. But what would you consider on the cutting edge of what you would be willing to talk about the gray area, something that you would assume that someone else is going to go through and how there are many who may not be so willing to seek help. They just want to go at it on their own. And what would you suggest to a person like that? Because there are many out here who are suffering so bad that I know for a fact we have, in my opinion, two types of people when they're suffering, where they take it out of themselves and when they take it out on other people. Now, we have a lot of uh, situations out here where there are issues that are not dealt with, where we have individuals who may go out and take it out on other people. What are your feelings on those situations? Nothing specific, but can you identify or spot it long before other people can? And what should that person do? Well, the majority of the vets that I've come around, been around, are loners. 
They want to be by themselves. When we do go out, we're in the back of a room, the back of a theater, eat alone, keep our families away from other people. My family was kept from having a lot of friends. We want to be alone. We don't want, and, and the reason is we don't want nobody asking us about our life in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It's nothing we want to talk about. These people that go off the deep end, it's because they had no, in my mind, they had no help around them. They probably went into a, a depression state. Mm-hmm. Nobody there to start talking to them. I try to tell anybody, if you see a vet there, and you know he's a vet sitting there with that glary stare, go talk to him. Talk to him about anything. He's somewhere he probably doesn't need to be. Mm-hmm. Get his mind off that point. Mm-hmm. Do anything with him. If you're, he's a relative, talk to him. Get him to play a game. Don't let him sit there stare. Mm. It's even That's... hard for me to tell you that. Sorry. No, 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 no. That 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 was that was a great bit of advice because I find more, most people will stay, let that per- person stay away. You know, okay, they probably want to just, or they're acting weird or, you know, they don't know how to deal. So that's a very valuable piece of advice for anyone who's going to listen to this, that if you do see someone in that place and staring off and, you know, do something to distract and, and that would help to that pull them out. quietness can then take them into drugs. It can take them into drinking and it could take them into the open Expression is his actions in, in a bad way with mm-hmm. a weapon or physically. And, right. and, and that's not needed. And he really doesn't, he should don't really want to go there. But jump in and help. And, and to me, start talking. Get their mind somewhere else. Mm. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. With, with your own personal therapy. You said you had some good doctors and some okay doctors. In the whole experience of that, what would you suggest that doctors can improve on in their dealings with vets? Is there something missing? Well, Part of the problem with the veterans is there's not enough actual doctors and nothing against nurse practitioners. A lot of them are extremely on the ball, but some of them still don't have that background as a doctor. And because of there not enough funds, there's not enough doctors. They need to get more skilled and qualified specialists there. And um, my biggest problem I had was with my heart doctor. I had heart surgeries, uh, again, related to HMO's cancer. But uh, my problem was the heart doctor, and I still have an open issue with that, uh, with the VA. But my other doctors have been fine. My primary doctors, I've only had a couple of good primaries. They change out every couple of years. Uh, the rest, you know, they're just there to coordinate for you, so I guess I shouldn't say anything. But they need more money in the VA to get more higher doctors because they're not going to leave their jobs that one day a week you know, to work for a third pay. It takes a dedicated doctor. Mm. But they need to be paid uh, a, a decent wage to get the good doctors there also. And right. you got some people who are, it's in their heart to do what they can, but others are, it's all about the money. And unfortunately, sometimes they have to pay that money to get the proper care for that vet. Uh, again, we didn't, when we went to combat, we didn't say, oop, I don't want to go on this firefight today. Take me back somewhere where I can get a burger and a fries. You right. did what you had to do. So now, in turn, do what you have to do for us. 
There you go. There you go. We gave you our best each day. Give us that thing. And for those who have survived to come back, because, you know, obviously those who didn't, they don't have to deal with because they're not here right now. So I don't think that that's too much to ask. It shouldn't even be where you have to ask. It should be already there. They talk about the land of the free and the greatest country in the world. Well, look how they treat the military and, and the real live human. And it's not just you. It's your family. It's those who are around you if you have that blessing. Because many don't have the blessing of family and, and actually a fully functional family because some families are very dysfunctional. So when you have the blessing of a family who will take you back and embrace you, even though you're still affected, that's got to help. Um, My so family has been used for me, but so many vets, even mm -hmm. though they've got a good family, they didn't get enough care. So they fell apart anyway. And now the family has to suffer for that vet who gave up his time and his life. Mm -hmm. So they're suffering again, and then the vet suffers. It's just a compound. Again, it's such a simple issue. Open up the care form. Quit questioning about it. You know they were in a branch of service. Take care of them. Mm. You know, such heavy answers. It's a simple answers. thing to answer. And mm -hmm. when everybody wants to keep going and talking to all the heads of the hospitals, you know, to see what they can make better, that's wrong. Go down to the emergency room. Go down to the waiting room of the, one of the different departments, the orthopedic department or the surgical department. There'll be 20, 30, 40 vets waiting for their turn to be called to be checked. Go sit down, walk in, and talk to them. That's when they're going to learn. That's when they're going to learn what's really going on and what can be done. You know, I go to the Tucson VA right now. I born and raised in Chicago 65 years. Retired at age 65 in Arizona because I cost a living. That was, it was easier on me to come here. Right. Um, so now I go to the Tucson VA instead of the Heinz VA. And you go to the surgical room, and then that's where the orthopedic surgeons are, neurosurgeons, uh, and the uro urology surgeons. And you go there, and there could be 50, 60, 80 vets sitting there. Walk in one of those rooms and mm -hmm. say, tell us what we're doing wrong. You'll get all kind of good answers. Well, you know, Personally, I, I hope to do that with my video camera one day, but I don't know if I'm allowed to go in or maybe kind of hang around the perimeter and, and not really ambush anybody with a camera, but ask their permission, of course, and, and let them tell their stories, you know, because that's something that needs to be heard. And a lot, a lot of these guys are suffering in silence. A lot of them don't have families. A lot of them, like like we know, are homeless and, and, and they're mm -hmm. staring off blank. They're you know, they get out there in public and ride the public transportation all day sometime and really have nowhere to go and fill a great void. Um, with your experience and what you see today in this world, you have a tremendous insight. You see the whole political propaganda that's put out there, but you know combat, you know war. Do you think that we'll again one day have something happen of such magnitude like the Vietnam War. Where, where are we as a country, you know, in comparison to that time and that situation from your I don't, point of view? Yeah, Lance, I don't believe it'll ever be a war like that again. And, and I'm very proud to hopefully say that, and it is. Our mm -hmm. younger vets now today, um, they're all fighting and, and fighting in their own manner and fighting in a different kind of war than we fought. 
and fortunately they're not having to go in, in the amounts that we went and their technology that they've right. got has helped them so much and they can track every movement they do they can give them so much more than we were getting I take nothing away from any of them because they are struggling in their own way in their own battles but it, it's a different war than our war was we didn't have that technology to help us we didn't have the ability to have better living and better food um, but that doesn't mean that they're not struggling when they go into a firefight, going right. through these homes, going through these villages and the mountains. But I think the wars are going to be fought by air and will never have that tremendous ground effect. And I'm very pleased in my mind, really believe that. I believe the ground wars are over. You know, the old back in my day when they talked about China, which is being talked about now, mm-hmm. nobody will ever attack China. The logic was, he says, because you run out of bullets before I run out of people, you know, with their billions of people. Well, that right. doesn't matter anymore because it's not going to be a ground war. I've got a 300,000-man army and you've got a 2-million-man army. They're never, they're, it, it's all just you can see by Iraq. It's all going to happen by air. Air or off ship off rockets. There's going to be a ground contention, but it's going to be an after effect with a little incursions dropping here and there to help out. And, and I'm glad that that's going to be the new war because there's, unfortunately, I think, always going to be wars, for at least in my future. Um, but I'm hoping, and you never know what 50 years, 100 years from now brings, but I don't see a Vietnam-type full-ground assault ever again. It's just not needed and it doesn't make sense. Hmm. Let me ask you another one. Drugs. Escapism. The war in Vietnam, as you said, it didn't have much to offer. You had to look forward to wet clothes, eating and doing what you can do do to survive. Sleep, you know, just not getting your sleep. So from what I'm gathering and speaking to other people who have had similar experiences out there and known many to come back drug addicted, and to see how the society looks at them as just, oh, you're just an addict, you're nothing. And they don't understand the reasons why. Could you speak on your experiences on what you've observed and seen around you or personally? And let people know the transition, that it's not just when they see somebody that's homeless and on drugs that may have been a veteran. Share with us what brings a person to that point. It's it's just a loss of a loss of faith in the country. They've given up uh, to me in my mind. Again, talking to the vets, I know running across some vets, walking into vets. Um, if they have nobody around them, the drugs is their way out. You know, uh, some of them got on drugs because of the pills given to them by the VA. You know, and and that's a bad thing. And they're now trying to control the op- opioid thing, but. Some of them are on drugs because they had no one to talk to. No one stepped in when they seen them in that gaze and that stare to, to try to get them somewhere else. So drugs put their minds somewhere else. And unfortunately, the drugs kept them there. And they've lost their whole life, lost families, lost homes, lost everything. And some of them have just thought, this is all I've got and I don't care anymore. You know, they've, they've put themselves in a place where in their mind the best thing to do is to die. They, they don't need to be there anymore. The drug takes their mind off the memories of combat. Mm. It puts them in a quiet place. And I, I, fortunately, uh, drugs and drinking was not my problem. Mine was addiction. 
I got in a lot of just my whole life. And uh, that was get out of that. You know, I'm 72 years old, and I see somebody walking by, and they have bothering somebody. I still think I'm going to walk over there and pop them upside the head and have them knock their shit off if they're harassing somebody. You know, mm-hmm. but it's just, that's my battle. But others, again, the drugs took them down, and, and it's a shame that nobody cared and has gone in to try to reach them and pull them out, and I really, really, some of them don't want to be pulled out anymore. That is their way of going, getting the experience in the deaths was around them or that they had to have caused, um, putting it to sleep so they don't have to think about it anymore. They don't have to relive it anymore. Mm. You know, when, when the people read my book, Lance, again, my section on combat, I don't remember how many pages it is, but maybe it's 50 pages. And then the others are other parts of my story, my life. But uh, that 50 pages took me seven weeks to write because I'd write a few lines and I couldn't go back to it. Right. I mean, it just brought all the memories back when I was writing something. And then I, for two nights, I'm not sleeping again. So then they'd go back and I'd write some more and then it would happen again. So it, it's nothing you want to relive. It's nothing that's ever going away, but you don't want to relive it any more than it's going to happen itself. And by writing about it, I brought it out. You know, I, I brought it out more. It's, mm. But on the vets and the drugs, again, there should be some kind of a patrol put out there in every state there is and every city there is go through all the homeless. It doesn't matter who's homeless. They need to not be homeless. But grab uh, some vets and try to suck them out of there. Try to get them to a VA hospital. Get them a bed. See if they can't straighten them out. Mm. Give me a tremendous insight, and I'm I'm quite sure others who hear this are going to have their eyes opened uh, tremendously. And it's just so much much more that and just browsing through the book, each page is just so jam-packed. This is not just like a fairy tale here. This is just there's so much weight. I mean, in a good way, intense. That's the way it should be, pound for pound. It's not a big book, Lance. It's a small book. So no, I mean, people no, but, can read the whole book in two days. You know? Yeah, but you, you can read the whole book in one day. Well, what I'm saying is that you can't even you can't breeze through this. You can look at different things, but you can't breeze through this because this is real. This is nothing where... Well, let's stretch it out and make it look a little bigger or whatever. This doesn't have to be a big yeah. book. This is, look, you know, a, a fighter knocking a, uh, his opponent out in one round, you know, and people paid $100 to see it, and it was a spectacular knockout. They walk away happy as opposed to mm-hmm. a, a boring fight where they didn't have any highlight moments, and they fight the whole 12 or I like to say 15 rounds because back in the day it was that. Um, and they say, right. man, it was boring. You know, this this is something. Yeah. And I would hope that, you know, you would do more because I know you have so much more to share, so much more because we need people like you because at least you were blessed to have the presence of mind and your faculties enough to do this through the pain that you've been through. How, when we say PTSD, many people who don't understand, think one narrow way. What has that been for you? If it's okay for you to speak about some parts of it, um, you mentioned some things before with the choppers and and everything, but on on a deeper uh, level, not so external, but 
because I know I've never been to combat and I've had some traumatic emotional situations in my life where I'll wake up crying over something 25 years ago. You know, um, how does one deal with that? And, and, and what what has been for you a trigger? And, and how do you explain that? If if it's okay. I mean, if, if you don't want to talk yeah. about it, we don't want to bring my, you back there. Yes. Yeah. My PTSD has been my whole life. Uh, and my wife can tell you probably, she don't count the times. Uh, she ran up out of bed and hid in the closet because she had no idea. I was screaming and yelling orders, uh, yelling for people to go do stuff, you know, mm-hmm. go duck here, go shit here, go get ammo over there. Um, it scared scared the, uh, the hell out of her, I guess. So she ran and hid in the closet so that I wouldn't do something to her. But you wake up, I would always wake up in huge sweats. I mean, my body was wet, sheets were wet. I was mm-hmm. dripping. I was so intense into what I was reliving. How it that tensed and tightened up. You are reliving that moment 100%. There is no more can be said about it. If you had someone blown partially apart and you're trying to grab them and stop the bleeding, whether you just took some people down and it was the end of that firefight, and that's when you realize what had just happened. Or uh, when you get into some of these reliving these moments, in my case, I'm a I'm a dripping wet sweat is how I wake up whether it's shaking, yelling, um, that's, that's been my life. And it hasn't stopped, hasn't stopped. We visited relatives, and the relatives always say, why don't you stay our whole life when you come to visit? Why don't you stay and sleep by us? We've got a spare room. We've always rented a hotel. And uh, I didn't want them to experience what I would maybe do that night, and then it would bother them. My wife knew what could happen with me and she put up with her whole life. She's been a phenomenal angel to me. But the relatives didn't need to know what was going on that I had to deal with. My wife and kids just found out about my injuries of Vietnam six months before I wrote this book. They knew dad had scars on his body. They knew dad had let them know there was still shrapnel body from x-rays and that. But we never talked about it. They never asked me. They found out six months before I put this book out this past February about the whole book and then they read it in my life. Uh, they didn't need to know and they were honored and never asked. They just never brought it up. Um, and it's just, you know, my wife sometimes would rub the scar and just look at me. Nothing got said. Just she respected that. And all the nights I woke up screaming and yelling. She generally get up in the morning and just give me a hug. I had to take a break because that was sorry. Oh no 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 no! I'm I'm just I'm just flowing with you. Um, it was well explained, and that explains a lot of of different things that we see in public. You know, I've seen so much in public. You know, certain outbursts, certain reactions, such as that. But my mind goes a little deeper, and I understand pretty much what what it can be potentially. If I don't even know the person, I say, okay, I I consider the fact that. They could be reliving something from combat if they are a veteran. And this could very well happen to us if we're not veterans. So this is how the human mind works. And I believe somewhat it is a defense mechanism. I believe it's it's a way of letting off pressure and stress. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my theory. Because if you didn't have those things happen as a reaction or, or, or the sound of a ch- chopper may trigger a reaction, if you held this in, but didn't have the ability to have an outburst, 
and, and maybe outburst is like a little too violent a word, but maybe your mind would just completely go off the deep end. I, I just think that that's part of some type of defense mechanism to relieve pressure when you've gone through these things that, you know, are in your mind and every now and then you have to top it off and get rid of some of it. Yeah. I'm not a psych- psychiatrist. You've got battered, I'm sorry, man. you got battered women out there. you got kids who had tough lives being raised, battered struggles, all kinds of different struggles. And they have different kind of recurring memories their whole life. They've got to live through. It's not our war memories, but they're battling too. And they've got to live their life. And we live all these unneeded issues that they've just put upon them. Um, we are reliving our war issues, and, and it's our battle, and we keep fighting through it, and, and we try to do the best we can. We mean no harm to anybody. And that's the point. You're just trying to live your life. You're just trying to live as much as you can while carrying that unfortunate burden of the mem- memories that you have. And to show compassion is a, is a wonderful thing and try to have understanding on the person who's going through this because in an unrelated conversation earlier this week I had with a friend, I was mentioning to them how it just appears to me that there's so much less compassion, love, consideration, and, and brotherhood in the world. It just seems that way to me. I'm 55 years old. I'm a couple of years younger than you. But I remember, you know, from single-digit ages and young, younger teens, how the world was. We had problems. We had issues. We had war. We had you know, the inflation, we had political things going on and, and joblessness, homelessness, all the same things. But it's just that we kind of got through it a little more because it did seem to be a little more love in the world. How, how do you feel about that aspect of it in comparison to back at that time, which may not be related to the war? It's just a, a question about the world in general. You know, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I grew up, you know, our five blocks. Um, I was, I'm a Croatian background and Serbian. And then the next five blocks were all the uh, blacks, African-Americans. And, and then the next five blocks were Hispanics. And then the next five blocks were, uh, when the, the Jews and the Italians were coming in. When they, and that's what they were called back then. And, you know, we played ball against each other. We wrestled against each other. We went to the Y's and boxed against each other. Mm-hmm. We didn't have all this shit. And, and excuse me for that, but oh no, no, we, speak, we speak just freely. knew you just lived together and you you done what you can, and we all done our best. We were in high school together, grammar school together. No matter what block we lived in, we were all in the same classes. You know, it's and it's why we've grown so much apart. Um, in my mind, in my mind, it, it, I think the media has been our biggest problem. I don't know why, um, but uh, they blow apart things, they blow up things they shouldn't, and they don't emphasize things enough that they should. And and here's a here's the one of the shoulds. Why aren't they writing all about getting the vets hundred percent care? If all the junk they write anymore would be about day after day, all you senators, all you Congress people, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, get them that care. Get the homeless off the streets. If that was the headline every day, day after day after day, it would it could help straighten it up. Anyway, sorry about that. Hello? Oh, I'm here. You're making a very good point that even though we had our own uh, signs of town that we were on, that we still played together, boxed together, did what we had to do. 
but now these days it's just so totally different. And does that hurt you in a sense in your recovery and healing of what you've gone through in combat in the Vietnam War? That the world is a lot different disgusted, than it was? I get disgusted with it. That's the thing. And disgust brings depression in my mind. Depression brings on all the evil shit that I got to try to work through. To me, I get disgusted with all the stuff I've seen, how we could have got along. Why isn't it gotten... I thought it was good then. How hasn't it at least been that good or even gotten better? But um, it's it's just amazing. It just doesn't make any sense. You know? And again, I was talking about my young life. Same thing in Vietnam. When we were side by side, you were just you. You were just a Marine or you were just a, a soldier. You were just a uh, an airman or a Navy. You were... There was no nationality. It wasn't a color. You just were there to take care of the guy up to your right and the guy to your left. Right. Now, where does that go? I tell you, even myself, um, again, I was born and raised in New York City, lived there for 38 years, came down to Orlando, Florida. Um, it, I feel, I feel very lonely. I feel very disconnected from the present day because it's a whole different vibe. I find myself going on YouTube and playing the old songs from back in the 70s and 80s and even old songs that because I was born in 63 that I heard as a single digit uh, age person, but they brought good feelings to me because that was part of my upbringing. I I have no interest lots of times in in the present day and I have not gone through what you've gone through. So I know it's it's, it's got to be a, a really a struggle and thank God for your family. You know that that's yeah, there for I, you. Thank God for them. I am I am honored for the family I have. I've been blessed there. I will tell you that lands big time, and I wish everybody can get together with their family and, and make the best of every moment they can, and make that family life to life, and just let it grow from there. Let that family know to do the best for everybody around them as well as themselves. You know that they can, and, and hopefully one day it's going to just. It ain't going to happen tomorrow, but hopefully across time, realization will set it. And and I have a deeper understanding of this because my uh, a side note that you don't know about me is that although I've never served in the military, my stepson, my wife's son, did 10 years in Iraq. And it's already out there because we've spoken about it on different programs. But, you know, he came back. Everything was okay. But something seemed to not be right. And it turns out that um, I forgot exactly how to even say it or spell it. I think it's myasthenia, myasthenia gravits or something. It's, 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 put it this way, it's gradual, but if you're sitting by a table and you, you make an attempt to pick up a cup, well, the signal doesn't go through all the way and your hands can be weak, your eyelids can get weak, your sense of balance is off. And there's also, yes, um, myasthenia gravits, I think it's called. Um, maybe someone who watches the video later on or listens will add something in. But that's been traumatic. And, and, and he has a wonderful family that has helped him through it. He's on medications and different things. So he's holding things where they are, although they're, they're good days and they're bad days. But I could only imagine when this thing really first hit him and it was kind of eating him up and, and nobody knew what it was. And then there was the struggle of going to the VA and all the paperwork. And 
stuff that I just thought was so unnecessary. It's almost like you have to prove yourself over and over again. So I've gone with him. him. Yeah. So that part of it, I can identify with. It's like, wait a second. You know, you have to go through all of this just to get this little thing or this little bit of time, or you have to go to different VAs and travel and go, how could a person do that if they were homeless with no family, no funds, not, not having the presence of mind. This is why these guys are, I believe many more dying on the streets with no care as opposed. And I don't, I can't give you numbers, but it's, it's unfortunate and it's unnecessary. It is a definitely unnecessary battle. The vets are dealing with, and it has to be corrected. Everybody keeps saying every year for years and years and years, it's going to get better. It's gotten a little better this past couple of years here. I've noticed we've got more doctors at the VA. They said they got more funding down in Tucson. And they said they're going to, they hired more surgeons and neurosurgeons and that. So, and they let us know about that. So that's making us feel a little better. But I'm in the system. What about that poor person trying to get in the system? Have they corrected that yet? They keep saying they have, but because I'm not related to that or have nobody that age that's trying to get in the system, I don't know how much better that is. They say they've got it down to seven to nine months. That's what they tell us, but I don't, I'm not part of that anymore, so I don't know. All I know is mine was two and a half years. But even seven to nine months is ridiculous. Two and a half years is unheard of. Two and a half years. So you're in pain. Two weeks. It it shouldn't even be that. (laughs) Truth be told, from my end of things, what, what would take so, I mean, two and a half years? Okay, seven to nine months, you can have a child in that time. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Especially when you have a situation. It's amazing, Lance. It, it is. Yeah. We just yeah. got to keep working on these things. We keep trying to do our best. We keep trying to hopefully focus on getting so many people behind. I'm going to call it a good movement for the vets. Get the movement for the vets. Let's get the vets taken care of. And um, maybe I sound bad because I'm one of them, but you don't sound angry so it's, I'm it's, minute. Yeah. It's a righteous cause. And and again, for me, it's a split thing. I have issues with this government, and I'm very vocal about that. But for the veterans who may or may not have known what the intentions of the government were and, and how they profit from war, but the veterans get nothing, not that you would do this for profit. And we have different veterans who have gone for different reasons and I'm not here to really chastise them. It's the government when I speak about war. Um, What would you tell someone, a young man, in 2018? We know that it's not ever going to be a war like the Vietnam War. Like you said, it would be more airstrikes and we have the technology. But if there was a possibility of that happening again and you can see it, what would you tell a young man who might be walking down through the mall on a sunny day, right by the kiosk of a recruiter who has the shiny shoes and the bright smile and full of promises. And he turned to you and said, listen, talk to me before I talk to him. What would you tell him? If there was another war like Vietnam, I would tell him to get the best training he could because the only one that's going to care for him is himself and the vet on his right and the vet on his left. So he better make sure he's got all the knowledge he does about combat because he's going to be on his own after that. 
Excellent. Do you feel at any point in all of your ex experiences that there was any measure of deception of what you were going to go through or did the training let you know what you're going to go through? And of course, there's, there's situations that we can't plan for, but did you ever at one time feel as though you were deceived? No, I thought my training was good. The problem is they could never show you in training how the death of the person alongside being torn apart or laying there crying in his last 20, 30 seconds of life, how that was going to affect you. Mm. You know, my book explains about how many Marines died in my arms with 5, 10, 20, 30 seconds left as they, their last breath, their last words. That's all spelled out in my book. Um, you never train. There's no way to train you for that. Yes. Impossible. Yes. The human-to-human -human contact and, wow. That's a connection that, and I say connection because when you have somebody in your arms or in your presence and you're the last one they're looking at, if you spent time with them, that's something that you could, you could never erase from your mind. And I understand that. Wow. That one's Even, been relived many times, mm -hmm. many, many. Mm -hmm. Lance, if you don't mind with that one, I'd like to just let the people know where they can get my book and Understood. call it for today because that one sort of got me yes. where I don't need to yes. be. Yes, understood, understood, brother. Um, tell us where, all about it, and I will want to have you back. We'll come from a different angle that you decide, and um, I really want to thank you for sharing that. and. I did not want to dig too deep. It's, this is about the book. I want everybody to buy the book because our brother here took the time and the strength and the focus and the passion to justify what he's been through where there were so many others who are not here to be able to speak their story and share it. And because you have to go through this every day, I want everybody to pray for you and all those like yourself who find themselves dealing with this stuff that is still very much real. There's nothing unreal about this. If it's real for you and real for your family, it's real for me. And I've dealt with that through my stepson. So I thank you, brother. Tell us about the book, and I'll let you enjoy the rest of your afternoon. All right, Lance, thank you, and thanks to all the listeners for taking their time out of the day. The book is called In Thy Mother's Honor. It can be bought at the Publisher Direct Dorrance Publishing at 800 788-7654. It can also be gotten through Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and it can be downloaded to an ebook from all three of those places. The book is written as a story, not a hypothetical. It's a factual story. There's backup. In the back of the book, the experience and issues I bring up. There's a bunch of pictures and copies of photos and letters in the back of the book. And this book, in my mind, and as I've been told by so many who have read it, is going to grip your heart and soul. And I hope when you read it, they'll tell everybody you know around you to take and read it. And maybe you or someone who reads it, it could help another vet down the way. Because of what you read, you'll see something going on with that vet. And you can just reach out to them. And that will be a blessing. Thank you so very much. I thank you for your time. And again, we're going to talk again. Thank you so Lance, much. I'd be honored to be back. Thank you. Thank you. You take care. Have a great, have a great day. You Bye -bye. too. Bye-bye.
Make sure to check out the boldest blog at landscurve.com and follow Scurve on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube under Lance Scurve.